0: or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Villara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today, I'm here with Pete Newbig. Pete is a former co-founder of Empire Industries uh, based out of Houston, Texas. He sold his company, and uh, Pete's currently the co-founder and CEO of VPM Solutions. So. Pete, I think uh, your story will sound much better coming from your mouth, but first, let me just say thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for taking the time.
1: Yeah, Jason, thanks for uh, inviting me on. I'm really, really excited about this one.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, why don't you just start? Let's, let's let everybody know kind of your background, your story, and then, yeah. and then we'll kind of take it from there.
1: Sure. So uh, as we're recording this uh, right now, I'm in Houston, Texas. I've been living here since 1995, so I've been here for quite some time. I'm originally from New York City, Bronx, New York, originally. And uh, when I was growing up, I was the first one on my dad's side to go to college. And uh, I was always taught, you know, Kiyosaki talks about this a lot, go to college. Um, My dad didn't even care if I got good grades. He just wanted me to go to college, get grades, get out of college and get a good job, you know, and uh, his high hopes for me were that I become a fireman or actually I don't have to be a fireman because he was a firefighter. And so that I can become, you know, a white collar worker. So that was, he didn't have, uh, you know, I grew up in the Bronx, so he, he didn't really have high, high hopes for me, but that was it. And on my mom's side, though, my uncles were entrepreneurs. They were always business owners. And I realized that my uncles and my cousins lived a much better life than I did. They weren't in the Bronx anymore. They had moved out of the Bronx into Westchester County, which is kind of a little bit wealthier than the Bronx. So growing up, I was the have not, and my cousins were the haves. But I thought, okay, well, I go to college, I'll get a good job, which I did for 20 years. I got out of college in 1992, found a nice job. The job ended up, um, I ended up moving to Houston because I was going to just give Houston a try for a year. And that was in 1994. And now I'm here 25 years in in Houston, Texas. I call Houston the Roach Motel. You check in, you don't check out. And, uh, and so like, you know, I mean, housing prices was cheaper, but I didn't know anything. I was 24, 25, and I just got a really good opportunity. And I was in it and in 1992, what it meant was that you were a COBOL programmer. There was no internet back then. There was no desktop support. There's none of that stuff. Right. And so, uh, as time grew on, um, I was able to get out of the programming in, uh, industry and get into like, uh, networking and, 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 um, Security and all that good stuff, and I was making a great living for myself um but I always want I always felt there was more. I don't know if you're listening to this and you're have a great job and people are envious of you and your job, but you are unhappy or you're dissatisfied and that's exactly what happened to me in two thousand and and uh and no two thousand and twelve, okay. I, I walk in, and I, I was married at the time, and I go to, I'm still married to the same wife, same same lady, and, but I went to my wife, Felicia, and I said, hey, man, I said, I am, uh, every time I go into the office, a piece of me is leaving my body, like, I'm literally dying coming to this office, and at the time, I'd been in the industry for a while, and I was now working, like, 35, 40 hours a week. I was making over hundred thousand dollars in Houston, Texas, which is, which was a pretty good deal. This isn't, you know, this is again, 2000 and, and like 12, uh, 11 time frame, And the I was the, I was the senior engineer for a publicly traded company. And so, and uh, I was actually, I had actually had a great job, like all the technology that came into this company had to go through me. And all the other guys that worked with me, they worked in like desktop support, but I was in networking and engineering and my boss would leave me alone. And he would always complain to those guys. He would like, you know, really micromanage those guys. So I had an envious job and I just couldn't wait to get the hell out. I was done. And again, I looked towards, you know, I looked towards my uncles and I'm like, man, I I gotta own a business one day. Now I'm gonna reverse here a little bit. So that was 2012, In, in 2001, I had the same thoughts, but I wasn't ready to own a business. I thought owning real estate was owning a business, and I want to make a I want to make a couple of clarifications here for the listeners. Okay, when you own a property, when you own your first property, you do own a business. All right, and you have to treat it as such. You have to have a business plan, and you have to have an operating agreement, and and you you know you have to kind of think through things but i want to make the, the 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 big distinction here is it's not the atm machine it's not the cash flow that you think it is you use your 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 w2 job or another business that brings in money right so jason for you it's being a veterinarian you take that money right that's the cash flow and then you go invest the money in 2001 um i would made the mistake that i was buying properties for cash flow so that when i got enough cash flow i can leave my 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 IT job. And that's not the right way to think of it. You should think of, uh, of property as building wealth, not building a job or building a company. Um, Now, there's obviously exceptions to that rule, but if you're just buying, you know, 10 properties at $400 uh, in, in cash flow, and I'm going to make $4,000, I'm going to leave my job. I don't think you're going to, I don't think you're going to hit those, that goal because there's lots of other things that could happen, right? AC goes out and, and just normal things, things that I didn't think of back then. So I was, so why this is important is because I was buying all of these low income properties, that we're never really going to appreciate greatly, but they had cash flow on paper. And so when I looked at the spreadsheet, I'm like, holy crap, I can buy this $40,000. Yes, I said that right. $40,000 house, right? I could get $800 in rent. I only got to put five grand down to buy the house, right? 10% or whatever it was back then. And so my return on my investment or ROI was going to be great. But- If anybody has ever bought class D or D minus properties, you know that there's these things called people. And people do stuff like take your electric, like steal your electric uh, wire out of your house or steal your AC units. I call them parting gifts, right? So Getting, uh they 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 leave and they 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 win a hey I want a stove I want a refrigerator I want AC units <laughs> you know they take stuff with them yeah. right and so your cash flow is never your cash flow and looking back now you know the stuff I bought in 2001 to I bought for you know 40 35 40 thousand they're worth like a hundred thousand which is great it's a great appreciation over 20 years. But the the one house I bought in a nice area, the Class B property, that house I bought for eighty thousand, and today it's worth uh, three fifty. So it's a big, it's just a much bigger numbers. And so um, I made the so early on I made the mistake, and I bought so many properties though. So this was a good thing, I guess. I bought so many bad properties that I needed a management company. So I ended up having a business partner, Steve Rosenberg, who hopefully you'll get on your your podcast one of these days. Steve and I met in a local real estate investment club. And so Steve reached out to me and uh, he was going to buy a small apartment complex and I owned one. I owned a 52 unit apartment complex in Kashmir Gardens. If you're familiar with Houston, it's called the 5th Ward and it's basically um, it's it's basically like the probably the, t- the roughest area of Houston. To give you an example, there's a show called a, a show on A E called Drugs Inc. And I thought it was, uh, you know, I'm like, oh, Drugs, Inc. And then it said, uh, oh, Houston's a star Fifth Ward on Drugs, Inc. this week. I had no idea what it was. It's all about like the drug traffickers and the gangs and all that stuff. And, and then lo and behold, three, I see like, like not, I didn't see my apartment complex on there. Thank you. Thank you, baby Jesus. <laughs> but what I did see was like down the block from where my apartment complex was, they had a lot of video and they, you know, they're interviewing people. Right. I'm like, all right, these guys definitely wrap my apartment complex at some point in time. Again, you know, lesson number two is, you know, don't buy the low, the low level stuff. If that's all you can afford, find a partners and buy the class B stuff. And and that's has been, I bought two class D buildings and a class C building. I made money on the class C lost both my, I lost my life savings on one of the class D's and I lost uh, all my investors money on the other class D. So if that tells you any math right there, you make money on the C, I would have made more money if it was a B. Want to be stuff. So Jason, I got here. I could tell you stories upon stories, but I'm going to tell you my mindset. And it's all, I promise, it's all coming back to 2012 and, and again. Steve and I ended up buying 31 homes. We had no idea what the heck we were going to do because we loved the idea of buying. We loved the idea of negotiating. It was like, it's like dating, right? When, you, when you're when you ready to buy a property and you find it, you're doing all the, you, you know, you're kind of reviewing it, checking it out, you're negotiating with the seller. Like, it's like, it's awesome. But once you buy it, it's uh, now you now you have it, and you have and you're gonna hold it long term. It's like marriage. And marriage just isn't as sexy as dating. Right? Let's be honest. Right? Like it can be, but it, it's it, it wasn't for us. And we realized that the properties we hated managing them. They weren't full. They were um, people weren't paying. Maintenance was was terrible. We couldn't find right maintenance people. So we said, okay, we need to find a management company so that we go out and and buy stuff. And originally, our plan was. Steve and I were going to buy, I think it was like, I don't know, something stupid, like 500 properties. And we're going to own 500 properties and that we were going to retire on the 500 properties. And that's what we were going to do. We got to 32 and and the house of cards just kind of collapsed, right? It's like just people like, you know, not paying rent. So we go look for property management companies. And while we were doing our research, I realized that one, no one would take our properties because they were in the rough areas and, and the property managers were smart enough not to take, you know, 50 bucks a month for, for a, a property that was going to be a problem. And then two, I felt I could build a better mousetrap. So Steve and I had to start, we decided, okay, let's create our own manager company. But the sole purpose was to manage our own properties. So we created an org chart. We gave ours, we put it, you know, we create all these different boxes, Steve in half the boxes, I'm in half the boxes. And so we decided we're not going to stop. We're not going to step on each other's toes anymore because he would call a resident. Then I would call a resident. He would be, you know, like we were, we were just doing, we were doing the same thing. And it was like, there was no structure. So we created structure and we started creating a management company uh, out, out of, you know, out of a need. And then I look up and I'm like, wait a second. It's a year later. And we did this in 2010 by 2011, we're managing 62 properties, but I only own 31 properties. I said, well, how do we get here? Well, when you're a real estate investor, you know other real estate investors. When you solve a challenge, they want you to solve their challenge. So we started third-party managing properties, not knowing what the heck we were doing. And in 2011, what I noticed was at the end of the year, my properties didn't make any money. Yet again, I had to go into HIP National right to our pockets and find money to pay for taxes and insurance that we do at the end of the year, because we ran these properties so poorly, that even though we didn't have much P and I uh, principal and interest on the note, we still at the end of the year, because we weren't uh, escrowed, right? So we had to pay tax and insurance at the end of the year, and at the end of the year, we had no money because maintenance was killing us, um, you know, uh, evictions, uh, you know, no rent coming in, things of that nature, vacancy. So, uh, but what we realized was the property management firm made money. So a little light bulb went in my head. I'm like, huh, maybe I should really start looking at third-party managing and, and you know, getting rid of some of these properties. So in 2012, um, that's when I had the conversation with my wife about, you know, a piece of me dying every day. And so uh, I decided to quit my six-figure-a-year job um, where people were envious of me, where I had total control of all the technology coming in to the to the business, uh, to the to the organization, to be, basically be a property manager. And uh, that first year, so this is how this is how difficult it could be. That first year, I paid myself one thousand dollars per month. That's what I paid myself. If you want the dream, you got to prepare for it. So why was I able to pay myself one thousand dollars a month? Well, my wife obviously had a job and she was making, you know, about $80,000 a year, which was good. Both of our cars were paid for. My house was paid for. So when my wife and I got together, we made the decision to sell her house. She had some equity in it. And we ended up taking that equity and basically paying off my house. But before that, I had roommates that were paying rent to me. I'd pay that. I'd pay extra to anytime I had any extra money at the end of the month, a quarter or a year, I put down on my house. I was a big Dave Ramsey fan back then. And I know what you're thinking. Most of us are investors listen to this. Like that's the stupidest thing you could ever do. You should never pay off your own house because if you pay off your own house, you're only paying, you know, you can make so much more money um, investing in other things, but you know what a payoff house does, Jason, you know what it does for you. It gives you that, that, um, there's no more risk anymore. All of a sudden, like my house is paid for. Right. So, I can go like I can go quit my job and my wife's salary will cover in our costs, and that's huge. That's that's called freedom, right? When your house is paid for, it's it's you know you and I were talking in the green room before we came on about you know when people get uh, when when people retire, right? Their whole plan is retire and spend less money. And we actually tease like, yeah, you only save in P and I, and it's really not enough. And I get that. But if you can live without having to pay anything, man, now think about this, no credit card bill, no, no student loans, no, um, no car payments and no house payment, right? What can you do with that money? Well, for me, I was able to quit a job to start another business, to start a business because I wanted freedom. That's what I want. I want freedom. I want freedom to, I want freedom from somebody to tell me when I got to be, where I got to be, when I got to be there. Right now, even when you own your own business, you don't have freedom from that all the time, but believe it or not, you have a lot more control over your time at that time. Uh, you know, once you own your own business and so quit my job, I went, so this is an interesting story. Uh, I told my company that, I want to leave and I told them in January, but I told them I was going to leave. And, in, uh, in no, I told them in January, I wanted to leave and, um, they asked me to stay till June and I did. And then I went part-time in June because they needed to hire somebody to replace me. And then I had to train them and I was fine with that. So I ended up working like four hours a day for my, my company. And then, uh, I would work, you know, eight, 10 hours a day for my business that I started. And it worked out really well. And then by December, I was gone. And uh, the guy they hired, he, he actually looked a lot like me, which is kind of funny. So, like, they literally just instead of calling him Johnny Pete, they called him Johnny. And, uh, but the cool thing was they never had a, they only called me one time after I left. So, by the training, the documentation, I didn't burn a bridge. I, I left, I left, and uh, and uh, I left him in really good shape and they allowed me to start my business without, like, without having to, not have any salary. So that way, when I started in December, I had some clients, we had, like I said, we had 60 properties that we managed, and we were able to make a little bit of money. Now, what I had to do to, um, I slung real estate, I was a real real estate agent at the time when we created our property management firm. And so I slung real estate that first year to cover some of the costs that I wasn't going to cover. So I was, so in 2000, and so I want to, I want to, Talk to these. Talk to you as you listen to this, because it's not easy, and I get it, and and it's really not easy. And I didn't have kids, and so it's a little bit easier for me. But it's this is what I was doing. I was working full time for a company called Stage Stores as the IT guy. I owned a couple of apartment complexes, and I was the lead investor in one of the apartment complexes, which meant that I had to make sure that I was doing the books, the the distributions, managing the team, all that good stuff. Right? I was still I was doing that. I was a passive investor on another apartment complex that was not doing well. And so I worked at that apartment complex, uh, or at least in the main office with my my business partner to try to save that, that deal. So I was doing bookkeeping, maintenance, whatever had to be done. And I started building and, and I was buying properties. So I'm like, you know, I'm like this guy that's got all this and, and you know, how my wife, uh, who I was dating at the time, how she decided to stay with me, because I was, she was like, you know, number four on the on the list, is, is pretty amazing. And so um, we started Empire Industries in December of two thousand, December one, two thousand and twelve, and we sold it December uh, October of two thousand nineteen. So I owned it for almost eight years, and uh, I'll I'll be quite honest, we sold it for a little over four and a half million dollars. So it was a nice, it's a nice it was a nice play. Um, I never paid myself as much as I made at at state stores though, to be quite honestly. Yeah. We spent a lot of our money building the business. So anything we made, we would pay ourselves a little bit, but we'd invest it back into the business, back into the business. And that's why we had we went from, you know, those 60 doors when we went. You know, live if you would, and we ended up having I think it was right under a thousand doors. And we do when I saw when I say doors, I mean single family units. We didn't do anything over four units, so no multifamily, no HOA. Because sometimes you talk to these property managers, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I managed you know twenty three hundred doors," and then you find out well like you know nineteen hundred from HOA, and then it's like another hundred apartment complex meaning the the moral story is it's a lot more difficult to, to gain door count when you're doing single family. uh, And so we started that business because we had a need. We were not able to find anybody who would manage our our properties. We started third party because we felt we could, we can help people, right? We were able to solve our challenges with our property so we could solve other people's challenges. I love the fact that I was able to hire people. and, And so when you're when you own a business, especially when you're owning a business inside the um inside, you know, the housing industry, you're you're you have a house that you manage and that's somebody's home as a rent, and somebody's, you know, renting it, but that's their home. So you have a direct effect on on their life. With with the owner, you you have their typically you have their biggest asset. A lot of times their house, especially if they live there and then they're and then they're renting it. You have their biggest asset more so than their money guy in a lot, a lot of times. If they're an investor, you might have five or six or ten assets, which equals more than they have with their money guy. So you're managing their greatest asset, and then you have pe- people that work for you, right? So I, I have a direct correlation of the investor's life or the owner of the property's life. I have a direct correlation of the renter's life, and I have a direct correlation to the people I, I, I hire. And so you're impacting lots of lives, and and I really. You know I really love that about that industry and, and owning that business because not only did it give me freedom of uh, of what I wanted to do with my life and not have to answer to to anybody except for to my wife always and my business partners, um, but it allowed me to to affect positively lots of lives. and I, and I really love that about about the business. What I didn't like about the business is, it's every industry you're in is going to be hard. I don't care. Like, you know, sometimes I talk to my AC guy, I'm like, man, I wish I had the AC business. And he's looking at me, he goes, man, I wish I had a property management business. Every business is hard. And um, the property management business is, is no different. There's a lots of, there's lots of silly lawsuits. There's lots of, you know, there's lots of team issues and and there's lots of, you know, you're the, you're the shim stock between the owner and the resident. And a lot of times you're the one getting squeezed. So when Steve and I own the, own the management company, we had this vision at first, our first vision. So here's another lesson. Okay. If you're going to start your own business, you have to have a vision and the team, uh, your partner, your wife, um, who, whoever's going to be involved in this company, they have to share that vision. And I'll, and I'll let you into a little secret. When you first start the business, your vision is really small and you don't think you can hit the vision. An example at, at empire, our vision was 300 doors. And we just came up with that because we heard somebody at some conference say that they were profitable at 300 doors, right? That's called a self-limiting belief, self-limiting vision, whatever you want to say it. But then what happened was my vision and Steve's vision really became different. Like when we got to close to a thousand units, I really thought that we can own a really nice property management firm at 1500 units and just be in Houston. And we were in three markets already. And Steve wanted to be 150,000 units across the United States. That vision was completely changed, and and it ended up fracturing the business. So when people say, "Why did you sell?" Well, either a) you buy out each other, or you one partner buys out the other, or b) you uh, you sell the business. And but but option C of keeping both in the business is not an option. It doesn't work that way, right? So if you have if you have people that want out, so for example, if you guys are uh, are doing syndication or you're finding partners to buy an apartment complex, and you get let's say you get a hundred thousand dollars from four people, and so you buy this apartment complex, and somebody wants out, well, the only way to get them out really is to buy them out. It's, it's really the best way because or sell the damn thing and, and get everybody out. But, you know, trying to keep them in is just going to make that business partnership much more difficult. And if you're a friend and if you're friends for 20 years and you built this great business, the last thing you want to do is keep somebody in against their against their will. So we sold to to a company called Mind Management out in Northern California, a venture backed company. And the reason why we sold is because they were doing what our vision was. They were getting across the country, you know, they wanted 150,000, 200,000 doors, Across the country. So we took jobs with them and I lasted 18 months because I told you I don't like working for other people. Uh, when I sold that business and I started working, they gave me this really nice title. I think it's like, I don't know, it's a regional vice president or I don't know, head honcho of properties, something like something crazy. And um, I hated every minute of it, man. I lasted 18 months and I realized. Pretty quickly that I am unemployable. And so I had to figure out in those, you know, I figured out quickly I need to do something different. And so my new venture is Virtual Property Management Solutions or VPM Solutions.com. And VPM Solutions is an online platform that connects the real estate industry with remote team members. Right. We all know that right now the big challenge in this country is finding people who who are willing to work. And giving them the low level low enjoyment tasks at a decent price, right? People with GEDs want $50,000 a year now. And, and if you want like a maintenance coordinator and, you know, just to answer calls and follow up, it's hard to pay somebody $50,000 a year to do that. So with our system, you can find people in second and third world countries, pay them a fair wage based on their, you know, where they live. For example, a property manager in California is making $150,000 A property manager in Houston is making $75,000, right? So it's just because of cost of living. So if I could find somebody in Mexico, they might make 10 bucks an hour. If I could find somebody in the Philippines, they might make four bucks an hour. And that is equal to their cost of living. Like that's a good salary. And I know people in the U S have a hard time kind of, you know, conceptualizing that. So just think of if you're going to pay somebody in the West coast versus somebody in Arkansas, it's going to be, you're going to pay them different. Well, you're going to pay them different if they live in like Mexico or whatever. So that's what we decided to do. Um, So when I sold the business, I started working on, on this new product. And this is a, this is a complete technology play completely different than the service based industry. What I like about service based industry. So if you are, You know, if you're sitting there thinking that you want to get into your own business because you want to be your own boss and you want to, you know, have freedom, uh, I can tell you that if you don't build a business correctly, you'll never have freedom. You'll be a slave to your business. Uh, You have to make money with the business. But I like a service-based business because a lot of us don't have extra cash running around. A lot of us just don't have a half a million dollars sitting there to then invest in a business that may or may not work. When I started prop, when I started an empire a service-based business, I wore every hat. I was a property manager, the maintenance coordinator, leasing person. Steve was the marketing guy, the sales guy. You know, um, we all had we 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 each of us wore a bunch of different hats. As we made money, instead of putting it into my pocket, I would say, "Oh, look, let's hire Leon. Let's hire, you know, Megan. Let's hire Katie. Let's hire Ross." And we would hire people. And, and so I was able to start that business with $0 out of my pocket. Now, I'm not making any money, but it didn't invest, I didn't have to invest any money. Now, let's for, fast forward to a tech play. With the technology company, I can tell you as of this date, I'm in about $400,000. Right? And the company is making money now, but not enough to pay me salary yet. And I started this business in 2020. It's 2023 as the time it is recording. So it takes a little bit longer. Now, the positives are once this thing starts rolling, it becomes, you don't need as many people. There's not as many expenses and the valuation becomes much greater. The valuation of a service-based business anywhere from one to two times revenue. Meaning if I made a million, if I made a million dollars in revenue, the, prop, the, the company's worth anywhere from 1 million to $2 million, right? I mean, this is shark tank one one I guess yeah. um, with a tech firm, it's 10 to 17 times revenue. The more you penetrate that industry, the higher uh, rate of return you'll get or the higher valuation. So, so think about that at the same company, I make a million dollars. I'm worth anywhere from 10 to $17 million. So it's a much, it's a much bigger play. And this is why there's lots of people on, you know, in in Northern California getting, getting very wealthy because they get an idea they, they, they uh, they make some money, and then they turn around and they they sell to investors, uh, and then they get you know ten to seventeen times their their revenue. And that's why I get these crazy, you know billion dollar valuations from like the Ubers of the world. And so that's uh that's kind of that's kind of the journey that we took uh, from employee to self-employed when I was doing all the hats to business owner and I have not got to the fourth quadrant I'm giving you the uh, the kiyosaki quadrants here I guess where investor right so I'm not there yet uh, and I'm hoping that once VPM solutions you know hits hits its uh, adolescence I can I can get there and just be being a an investor. Yeah. So that that's kind of on the business side. So I, I hope I got. I hope I answered it. I if you want to talk about my apartment complex failures, we can do that. But I don't know if we're out of time. But I figure that's the high no, level. No, that,
0: no. That was that was great. Um, and I think some some actually really good points in there that I want to jump back to. And and you you said this right in the beginning, but um, investing for cash flow, and this, this is something that I uh, you hear a lot about, especially in the real estate space. You you hear about investing for cash flow. But what you said about, you know, sort of needing a business or a job or something like that to create cash flow to then invest for equity, I, I couldn't agree with that more. I think if you are able to invest for cash flow, you already have money. You already Because the amount of cash flow you're going to get off of most real estate is not enough for like a normal person to live off, unless they are investing like, a million dollars or or something you know you got to be investing a, a a large amount of money passively to get a cash flow that's meaningful and probably if you have a million dollars to invest you know 80 80,000 a year in cash flow probably isn't actually that meaningful to you however the point being you get these in and you get these investments in and then you let the equity grow like you said in your um you know your B class property that went from 80,000 to to 350,000, you you look at that growth over time. And now, now you're making substantial gains. So a lot of people keep talking about cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. And I think it's a little bit misleading, especially to, you know, uh, say, non uh, sophisticated investors. But you you wrapped that into you know sort of needing to have a business or using your job to fund those investments or something you do need some vehicle to create money Mm -hmm. and then you go get that into into investments and that you know you touched on the Robert Kiyosaki the four quadrants of of um now (laughs) like the name of that book I can't remember the name of the book but he um I heard him on a podcast and he said he has businesses to create money to invest for passive income. That essentially that's the that's the formula.
1: Yep. You you should invest for um not 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 just for cash flow, right? You should you should invest for for uh wealth, wealth building. Right. What my understanding is, you know, now that I'm doing you know, now I've done after after I all the wrong properties start doing some research talking to some people and the people who get wealthy are the ones who buy the properties that are going to appreciate right so over time you get this appreciation that's where the the magic formula is and that's why it's like okay well how do i know what's going to appreciate right and and that's you know if you buy something just for appreciation that's called speculation and probably doesn't work but uh, and it may it may not work for you, but most most property doubles in time on the coastlines. It's like what is it every like seven to ten years, and in, in middle America, it's every like twenty to thirty years. So if you buy any house and that you can afford, and and you hold on to it, don't worry about the cash flow. It will appreciate. Hell, even my properties in the, in the low income area, they appreciated. Not at a great not at at a great you know a great amount, but they still appreciated. And oh, you know, buying any buying property most of the time you'll uh, you'll be rewarded if you can hold it for a long time. As we're talking about this stuff, right? We know interest rates are going up. We know values of property are coming down. So if you bought a piece of property two years ago and you were supposed to get out of it this year, well, you may not make any money. You may lose money on that property, and then you lose money. Like, oh man, real estate doesn't work. But if you could hold on to that property for look, it's not going to come back for let's say seven years right? There's a cycle that happens. but let's say hold well, on probably for seven, eight years well not only do you not make you know you, you don't lose the money, but you'll actually make a lot more money and and that then that property made do- that property will double again over time. It might be 20 30 years but but it will. But when I was buying my properties just on cash flow, I was like a sniper and I was looking through that that sniper hole and I was only looking at cash flow I was only building my my spreadsheets and like looking at cash flow. I never thought about principal pay down or, or uh, appreciation. And of course I I didn't have any money to worry about depreciation at that time, but I was only looking at one leg of a four legged stool or a five legged stool. And, and um, if you're going to buy just on that, most likely you're going to, you're going to, you're going to lose in the, in the, in the, in the short time, the short term.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, that's a great point about looking at, you know, sort of the, the overall picture of whatever you're investing in and, and, um, interesting point that you made on sort of business valuation. I, I wasn't actually aware of that, that, you know, kind of that large difference in, you know, sort of service-based industry valuations versus, uh, you know, the tech industry. So, um, I guess good thing, <laughs> good thing for people to know that are, uh, looking to start a business that if you can, um, manage to have that be a tech-based in, uh, business then you're going to have you know sort of better better exit options i
1: suppose but 100% a lot of these venture capitalists that buy into uh, so mind is a uh, it it's it's positioning itself as a tech business they bought empire empire was what service based business but mind is building their own tech to manage their own to manage the properties so they want to they 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 desperately need to be a tech business to get the valuation that they want to get They'll never get that valuation being a property management business. Another example is if you, if you remember WeWork, mm-hmm. I think they're still around, but there's another company called Regis. Regis valuation was nothing like WeWork because Regis was just we we just we just uh, we have properties and we we basically rent them out to to businesses right in, in short term, and WeWork did exactly the same thing, but they got the valuation because they positioned or told the story that they were a a tech based business. And so that's why the valuations were so jacked up. And that's why WeWork ended up crashing because finally people realized it wasn't a tech-based business.
0: Yeah, is. That is very fascinating to me. Um, the the way that that, you know, sort of is structured. Um, your, so your current business venture with VPM is essentially your you want to describe it a little bit more, but like, I guess you're, you're yeah. linking.
1: I'll tell you here. It's like a dating service, Okay. right? We connect, we connect the real estate industry. So property management companies that manage single family, multifamily HOA management vendors that support that property management industry. Right. So maybe it's a vendor that, that has self-showing lock boxes. Maybe it's a vendor that does AC work um, brokerages and, and realtors. They they need transaction coordinators. They need social media folks. Anything that's back-end, uh, back-end stuff that you don't have to be licensed or you do not have to be physically at the property, anybody can do, right? Uh, 2020 coronavirus taught us that, right? The pandemic taught us right. that people can work from, from remote. So think of that industry, anybody that's in that industry, and yes, that includes real estate investors that- maybe self-manage and they don't want to take those calls anymore they don't want to do the lease renewals anymore but they don't want to hire a property management firm to do that they can literally hire somebody off our platform for literally four two three four five bucks an hour part-time to do some work for them uh to you know to maybe they maybe they have to send flyers or, or uh postcards because they want to you know they want to they want to farm an area, maybe they have to do, you know, CMAs, whatever it is for that real estate investor, um, they can hire a virtual team member. For the virtual team members, we spend a lot of money advertising to them to get on the platform. Today, we have over 17,000 people on the platform looking for work in the real estate industry. We also create training materials. So we have, I think right now we have 16 training courses. The first 12 are on property management and the last four have been on, on marketing, SEO, intro to marketing, marketing for real estate, right? So we can train these folks. Remember, these people live, you know, in Philippines, they live a hemisphere away, or they live in Mexico, they're not in our country. So they have no idea. So you're like, Oh, well, I want to hire somebody that knows real estate. Um, Well, good luck. (laughs) Good luck with that. You know, so what we do is we try to teach them that with our with our courses, they have to take the course, they test the court, they test out. And if they test out, they get a certification on our platform, which you can search by. So that's kind of and So you can find them, when you pay them through our platform, the way we make money is we take a percentage of what the virtual team member gets paid. So I could find them. I can pay them. I can manage them. We have management um, dashboards and I can, um, I can have customized reporting and I can train them all on our platform. All for the real estate. So as we, as we get, you know, as we get more mature as a business, we'll have a lot more training on there. We're working with a lot of third-party vendors that'll put their training on there as well.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Sounds great. I'll, I will actually have to uh, dive into that a little bit more myself. Seems like it can be very, very helpful. Um, Pete, why don't we, we switch gears here? I want to get the time to ask you the questions that I ask every guest. Um, and so th- the first one being uh, related to the name of the show, which is Know Your Why. So what's your why? What, what kind of drives you um, for, for bigger success?
1: You know, that's funny. This this is always a a more difficult question for me to answer than other people because most people probably would tell you their why is their kids. Is is my guess is probably that's the number one answer. Well, my wife and I weren't able to have children and we didn't we didn't decide we decided not to adopt. So my why is a little different, right? So my why is to make sure I can pay somebody to take care of me when I'm old. Is <laughs> is partly it's partly the why. Uh, but my why is I want to live my best life. I I I want to be able to contribute And I want to be able to live my best life. And, and then, you know, I would love to leave a legacy behind for my, for my, um, my nephews, but man, I just, I just want to be able to do things when I want to do them, you know, and I don't want to have to worry about how much it costs.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
1: so my wife's freedom. I want freedom. Yeah.
0: That freedom and family are probably the two, like I, running neck and neck in general. And sometimes people it's both. So yeah, totally, uh, totally understand that. That's kind of, it's all, it's all intertwined. Um, I just think
1: things like this, like how cool would it be if I could take my, my sister and her kids, my brother and his kids and, you know, and their families and go to Hawaii and just pay for everything. Like how cool would that be? Like, and, and just, you know, like it just, you know, those are things that I think we would all love to do especially when they all live in New York and I live in Houston, right? So I don't get to see them as much. So I just want to be able to do things and not have to worry about financial or you know,
0: yeah, the financial burden of it. Absolutely. Yeah. And and being able to, you know, sort of give that back to family, it, yeah, it's all uh, I completely understand that. while you're that alive,
1: element. right? But, I don't want to do it when I'm dead. I, right, like I exactly. would love to to give it while I'm alive so that they can, you know, hang out and, and we can right. have some memories versus like, oh great, uncle Peter's dead. He left me 2 million dollars. Like who cares about that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, <laughs> totally makes sense. Let's let's enjoy uh, enjoy life while we can. I think we touched on that a little bit before even starting recording. That uh, retirement is is almost a, a false <laughs> a false entity. Um, uh, second question for you, Pete. What, what's something about yourself that that uh, maybe isn't common knowledge that people don't know about you? Uh, special skill, a hobby, anything that you're comfortable sharing.
1: Yeah, um, so I'm a three-time Ironman uh, finisher. So I've done three Ironman triathlons. I've been to, I've qualified for the Boston Marathon twice and I can juggle.
0: Nice. Juggling is uh, is a, uh, that, I don't think I've gotten that one before. Um, <laughs> have you run Boston Marathon? I have, I was there the year the bombs
1: went off. Oh, wow, yeah. I, I ran before it before they went off, but I, I was there.
0: I ran it the year before before that so yeah and ran I, I ran two years yeah. yeah i did not i didn't qualify full disclosure i didn't qualify i ran via charity but um i'm from boston so it was important to me to get to get to do that it before you moved out of there right yeah, yeah. it so was I, uh, i'm
1: from new york i've never run a new york city marathon so really? i need to put yeah.
0: that on the list put, yeah. make that one that would be another good one that i think would be amazing to run just you know kind of obviously running through the through the uh the city and you know you're familiar with it but I think just to yeah, see almost like as a, boroughs, as a tourist, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. See the five boroughs. Um, when people hear this and they want to reach out to you, what's the best way to get a hold of you?
1: Best way is probably email. I, um, I know I'm on all the social stuff, but honestly I'm, I'm old school. So email Pete at VPM. So virtual property management, VPM com at solutions with an S.
0: Okay. And we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, final question for you. What piece of advice would you give to someone who is starting out uh, and you, you can sort of take the, take the Avenue of real estate or um, business, but just someone starting out and and need some advice as how to move forward.
1: Yeah. So, okay. So I'll, I'll, I'll answer both here. So, cause they're both very similar, right? If you're, if you're starting out in real estate, the first thing you need to do is find mentors. I, I think on both. If you can find mentors, um, who have been where you want to go to, or are there where you're where you want to go, you can skip a lot of steps. The best way to do that is uh, if you can find a local real estate investment club in your market, that's going to help you tremendously. They'll tell you which books to read, they'll tell you, you know, and and, and of course, always, always self educate. The other thing is, whatever you want to do, do not quit your job, and then decide what you're going to do work like i I talked to you i had like four jobs before i quit my my job that was making me the money you have to work towards that so if you want to start your business don't quit your jobs like okay well now i'm going to start a business and not know what the business is not only do you start the business but but make sure that you're getting um that you're getting some some leads at least if if not some business before you like with me my business was growing so much that it was taking time away from from my occupation. So I had to then go part-time and then I had to, had to quit. If you can hire a business coach, hire a business coach. So I, that would be the first thing. I hired a business coach before I actually had the business. And so my business coach, I hired in July of I think 11 and uh, and I finally quit my job in, in December of 12. And uh, so those are the two things that I would say, um, start, the, start the business before you quit your job and hire a business coach.
0: Yeah. No, that's that's great advice. I think uh, you know, sort of, you need to have a you need to have a a plan and and use your job as the vehicle to get yourself to that next step in business or real estate or whatever it is. Don't don't sort of completely disregard the value of what what that you know income that uh whether it's you know your income or your insurance or whatever things that that job is providing. Make sure you take seriously how you can use those things to move yourself on to the next step. And, and um, yeah, coaching and mentorship is, is uh, certainly something that, I mean, virtually everyone uh, that is a high achiever seems to have at some level. So really I read
1: great. that a, a, an average CEO has something like seven coaches.
0: Yeah. Yeah. it's uh, It's remarkable to kind of, that's one of the cool things that's been for this podcast is like, as I interview all these people and seeing like virtually everybody has some sort of coach or mentor, multiple coaches and mentors. And and that's, that's really the kind of the secret behind success in a lot of ways is just having someone to, to be accountable to and, and, and push forward. Yeah. And
1: don't be scared to ask somebody to mentor you because what I find is the more successful somebody is, the more willing they are to mentor you. And they don't ask for anything
0: yeah
1: they just yeah, it's true. they just we just like anybody asked me to mentor them i i i do it but they have to you know they have to be available they have to show up they have to do what i say i'm going to do mm-hmm. um what we discuss and if they don't take any action then you know if you don't take any action then the men don't
0: expect the mentor to stick around i guess is my point right right yeah it's only only as good as the work that you're willing to put in as well so, makes total sense um Pete, this is awesome. Thank you for coming on and and sharing your story. I, I think uh, it will help a lot of people and and kind of really um, cash flow ca- quadrant. I think the the concept of of sort of marrying your your real estate goals, your business goals, and 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 using your job, kind of how that all intertwines and in getting um, getting yourself forward to the you know the I guess the better quadrants. Yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. Um, but yeah, it's it's. I think that's something really important for people to take in mind as they move forward in their journey. Really, at no no matter what level you're at. So uh, again, thank you for for coming on. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. It's great, absolutely. Um, folks, when you hear this and you uh, love what P had to say, please like, rate, and review the show so we can get more great guests. All right, thank you. I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why.